Corinthians 5, 17. And as you're turning, let me introduce what we've been talking about once again. If you've not been here or this is your first time, I kind of plug you into uh, what we've been sharing this month, okay? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is a keynote verse for us for this month, not only on Wednesday night, but on Sunday mornings as well, because we're talking about who are you? Discovering and developing your true identity in Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, who are you? Who are you? We ought to ask ourselves that. Who am I? Who are you? Who am I in Christ? Everyone say, in Christ. That's the key verse. That's the key thought. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. It says, therefore, if anyone is what? In Christ. Everyone say, in Christ. He is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I believe Jesse quoted that last night, if I'm not mistaken. If any man is in Christ, if he, pardon me, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So we found out and we know that our real identity is not in just uh, our, our natural ge- genealogy and heritage. Our real identity is found in Christ. Because if you've given your life to Christ, you belong to him and you're, you're a new creation. And it says old things are passed away. Now, I said this so many times, but I want to keep repeating it. The reason most people still struggle with the old life is because they've never really found themselves fixed and focused in Christ. There's at least 70 plus passages of Scripture in the King James Version that directly reference this phrase, in Christ. Many more uh, that uh, reference this thought and this premise of a new creation finding their identity in Christ. That word in means what? Fixed position. Everyone say fixed position. So most people, most Christians I discover, they're not really fixed in Christ. They're 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 they're. Uh, they're tossed to and fro by, by every wind of doctrine. They've got maybe their uh, salvation experience, but they've never really pressed forward and discovering and determining their new identity in Christ. And discovering and developing our new identity in Christ is the secret to successful living, fulfillment, and the destiny of God over your life being fulfilled, and really productivity for the kingdom. How many of you know God expects his children, his family, to be productive in the family of God? Amen. Amen? In fact, John 15, uh, uh, and all of this is review, but hey, I think review is, is vitally important. John 15, verse 5, I believe it is. He said, if you abide in me... And my words abide in you. Guess what happens? It's verse 4. It says, uh, you will bear much fruit. Everyone say, bear much fruit. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So, so discovering and determining who you are in Christ and beginning, uh, beginning to find yourself fixed in him Brings you to a place of real productivity in the kingdom of God. And that's so important for us to be productive for Him. When we come, (coughs) pardon me, when we come to the close of our life, guess what? He's He's going to judge us, not whether we go to heaven or hell, but He's going to judge us and reward us according to how we lived our life on planet earth. Did you know that? We're going, to be, we're going to stand before God and give an account for how we lived our life, how we were productive for Him. And so that's what we've been talking about on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights this month uh, because of the fact that we're discovering who we are in Christ and beginning to develop uh, our new identity in Christ. We've been talking about spiritual gifts, discovering and developing your spiritual gifts. And so we know that Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, he said, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, uh, Peter says this, as each one has received a gift, 
minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Man, I wish all of us would memorize 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God is, God's gifted us. He's graced us. And he wants these gifts and, pardon me, pardon me, these abilities that God has given us to be used as ministry opportunities to the family of God and to the people of God and those around us uh, and be good stewards of it. So with that in mind, let me give you the big picture. Here we're going to complete the picture tonight. But the big picture is this. The first Wednesday night we talked about this. We talked about the gifts of the Father, which is Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. And it's called, these gifts are called the motivational gifts. Everyone say motivational gifts. Just a quick reminder, if we had time to go through them, we would. Uh, if you didn't go through them, if you, if you weren't here, I encourage you to get on iTunes and download it or go to our website uh, and, 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 and get plugged in to the fact that God has a primary motivation for all of us. And we operate and we minister out of that motivation. In fact, if you want to take a test and discover what gift is your, your keynote gift, kind of your kind of who you are in Christ from the, from the gifted motivational gifts perspective, go to gifttest.org. Everyone say gift test. Gifttest.org. And in about five minutes, you can take a test uh, that, is, that is very accurate. It'll help you begin to discover your motivation. And that's so important for you as you discover who you are in Christ to begin to realize the primary motivation of your life. I'm, I'm primarily an exhorter. There's exhortation. I'm the kind of guy that wants you to, hey, if you fell down, huh, come on, get up. You can do it. You can make it. It'll be all right. Look, come on, let's keep running the race. Uh, you know, everybody keep pressing forward. That's my kind of motivation. My wife's is, is, anybody know my wife's? Mercy. She's a mercy-motivated person. But those are the gifts of the Father. In fact, Romans chapter 12 says God gave these gifts to us. And then last Wednesday, we talked about the gifts of the Son which are found in Ephesians chapter 4. And you read this passage, you'll see that Jesus gave these gifts to the body of Christ. And these is, this is what we call the, the, the five-fold ministry. They're ministerial gifts, and really they're, they're positions of leadership and ministry in the church of the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher. Uh, and uh, let's see. Let's see if we can remember them. You remember the hand? Here we go. The thumb was the... You can't remember? Come on, who can remember who the thumb was? He's the apostle. And then, who was the pointer finger? The prophet. Who's the long finger? That's the evangelist. Who's the ring finger? He's the pastor. He's married to the church. Who's the little finger? He's the teacher. The reason the apostle is the apostle because he can do just whatever you need him to do. He's, he, he's a builder and a planter and an establisher. That's the fivefold ministry. They're gifts to the church. And the Bible says that these, these ministerial gifts, uh, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, they're given to the church to equip the saints. You see, my role here tonight is in equipping to you for the work of the ministry. Most people call the, uh, the, 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 the preacher or the pastor, or those in charge, oh, they're the ministers. How many of you know that's true, but our responsibility in ministry is to equip the saints for the real work of the ministry. That's ought to, that ought to be a new uh, mindset that we all take in life. Hey, I'm here as a minister. God's placed me here as a minister. And he's giving me gifts into the body of Christ to empower me and equip me to do the work of the ministry that God has for me. A little fast-forward co commercial on Father's Day, which I believe is June 17th, if I'm not mistaken, uh, here on Sunday morning, it's going to be Man Church Sunday. We're going to kind of step beyond just Father's Day and call it Man Church. In fact, you, it's just going to be Man Church through and through. But we're going to ha we have a special gift to the body of Christ in the form of Dr. Jay Threadgill, who is our missionary to Haiti. Uh, and uh, many of you probably not met Jay. He hadn't been here in a while. Jay is an apostolic guy, birth his churches. Man, he... 
in the middle of the earthquake, he was full bore for God uh, in rebuilding and ministry and serving. But one of his real gifts to the church is a prophetic grace on his life. And so I want to encourage you to uh, just, when you think about man church, in fact, I'm going to tell him, Jay, it's man church Sunday. I want you to let it fly. I want the anointing of God to come all over you because our church needs the touch of the prophetic grace, the prophet. And so, hey, uh, that's, those are gifts to the body of Christ, the gifts of the Son. And then tonight, we're going to talk about the third and the, and the kind of the completion of this trilogy of gifts. We're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, they're found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, and they're the manifestation gifts. These are gifts that are manifestations uh, of the Spirit to the church and for the purpose of ministry. So uh, with that in mind, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And let me say, tonight is not going to be an exhaustive teaching of the gifts, but a pretty good overview to help you begin to delve off into them and begin to exercise the, uh, them in your life in greater measure. And let me say to you about 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and really 1 Corinthians, uh, the, the church in Corinth, as we learned Sunday, had some issues. They were struggling in some areas. But you know what? In fact, remember Sunday, Paul the apostle, what did he call them? Saints of God. He didn't call them misfits. He didn't call them, you know, uh, cut-ups. He said to the church, back in chapter 1, verse 2, to the church at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And so uh, there were some issues, and there was some, some misuse and abuse of the gifts of the Spirit. And, and, and Paul the Apostle is coming here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, He's bringing some correction to the church because they were, uh, they were kind of out of uh, sync of, the, of what would be a, a good sound uh, uh, ministry and manifestation of the gifts in the church. And so he's helping them and he's bringing correction. He's not rebuking them for being uh, operating in the gifts. He's bringing correction. In fact, as we already read in uh, 1 Corinthians, or I quoted 1 Corinthians 14, 1, he said, desire spiritual gifts. And so I want you to understand that, and he's bringing some clarity. And, and, and I don't have time to walk through these three chapters, but I'm going to walk you through the gifts of the Spirit tonight, give you a little brief definition, uh, and then some things uh, about uh, all the gifts of the Spirit that are important to all of us. So let's jump in tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read the first, 12, uh, first 11 verses, uh, and this is the New King James. Here we go. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and say, we should not be ignorant about the gifts of the Spirit. Shouldn't be ignorant. You know, Paul, a lot of places, he didn't want ignorant brethren. In fact, ignorant, you may think that's a bad word. It just means uninformed, un, 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 uneducated. It's not stupid. It's just uneducated. There's a difference, okay? And so he's educating them and bringing clarity. He said, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And here we go. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. In other words, different gifts, one giver of those gifts, the Holy Spirit, okay? There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are, in fact, I believe that's almost, that's a reference to the, to the uh, gifts of the Son, okay? The same, because Jesus is the one who gave uh, the, the five-fold ministry to the church. I think that's a reference to that. And he goes on to say, And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Everyone say each one for the profit of all. In other words, all of God's children ought to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, He's talking to you this evening. We should all operate in the gifts of the Spirit. It's given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the, here, and here they go, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, 
to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues or diverse tongues as King James says, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And everyone said, Amen. Now, let's pause here for a moment and let's pray that God would help us not be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. Father, tonight as we delve off into these gifts, Lord, as we just kind of began to learn about them more, Lord, we don't want to be ignorant. We want to be educated. We want to be informed. We want to be in... in, in, We want the revelation of God to be upon us because they are for our benefit and for the profit of all. And Lord, we thank you for it tonight. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Now, there are nine gifts, five, six, seven, eight. There are nine gifts, and I'm going to break them up into three categories for you. And I really believe that, that these three categories are not just for the purpose of being kind of, a, you know, have a good outline, but it's really true. There's three different types of, of uh, three different categories, and here they are. The revelation gifts, the power gifts, and the inspiration gifts. Revelation gifts power gifts, and inspiration gifts. So let's look at them. Let's look at the revelation gifts first tonight. Uh, and, and these are gifts that reveal something, okay? It helps you understand them. Revelation gifts, they're gifts that reveal something. And here they are. The first one is the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is a supernatural insight into the true nature of things. And you've probably operated in this and maybe not even realized it before when you're talking with someone and, and, and they're, they're in need of some insight and wisdom and you're, you're in the flow of the Spirit. And, uh, you know, uh, sometimes we tend to think the operation of the gifts of the Spirit are spooky. It's really not spooky. In fact, everybody say the gifts of the Spirit are not spooky. They're not spooky. We, we may have a perception based upon some experience we had at church where someone scared us. How many of you know the gifts of the Spirit ought not scare you? Okay? The word of wisdom is supernatural insight into the true nature of things. And we've seen, uh, and I've, in fact, I've operated in this many times in counseling when people come and they have, they have issues. And all of a sudden I realize, you know, their issue is not anger against their spouse or their issue is not what their their issue goes deeper and all of a sudden it's a word of wisdom that comes that that brings clarity and understanding into the true nature of things and gets past all the clutter and all the issues it's the word of wisdom and then number two is the word of knowledge supernatural insight into certain established facts now jesus was really good at this remember the woman at the well They're talking religion. She's trying to talk religion. And Jesus jumps right into the middle of her world. And he he says, bring your husband. And she said, I I don't have a husband. And she's kind of stammering around. He says, you're right. You don't have one. You've had five. And the one you're shacked up with now, you don't have papers on him. That's my translation, not Jesus. But not that's not King James. But that's what he said. And and she and she said these words. She said. I perceive that thou art a prophet. He had a word of knowledge about her life and the the situation of her life. Now, let me kind of, in fact, let me just say these revelation gifts, they all kind of work in and intermingle with one another a little bit and they they play off one another. Let me kind of give you a little help with these too because I've I've said it this way before. The word of knowledge is, is God's diagnosis. Comes in and diagnoses the issue. Now, it's one thing to diagnose. How many of you, hey, we don't need a gift of the Spirit sometimes to diagnose people's problems, do we? Your problem is this, brother. You got this problem. And, and yeah, that's not necessarily the word of knowledge working, but everybody has the capacity to diagnose. And sometimes the Spirit of God comes and gives a diagnosis into our life, into, the, into, into certain established facts. That's what Jesus did. Let me tell you, let me give you a diagnosis of your life to this woman at the well. But then the word of wisdom is God's prescription. Insight into the true nature of 
things. The diagnosis is great, but then the word of wisdom comes along and gives, uh, uh, gives directive and insight to help us move forward beyond the diagnosis. So those are great gifts of the Spirit to, to help the family of God with. And I would encourage you to desire these gifts because they are, they are powerful when it comes to cutting past the clutter of people's life, getting into the true nature of things and getting right down to the core issues of people's life. And these are supernatural insight. You don't get this from going to school. This is Holy Spirit insight, revelation into the true nature of things, revelation insight into certain established facts in people's lives. Amen. One day when I was counseling someone, I knew I was going to be counseling them the next morning. I woke up early in the morning with a word of wisdom. It was really a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. And, I, and the word of knowledge, uh, and uh, pardon me, the word of wisdom came to me about their circumstance. And, that, and it was basically this. They, they can't fix stupid with stupid. I heard that so clearly. And so when I sat down with them, I tell you, I said, now let me tell you what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. You, what you did was really, really stupid, right? Oh, yes, Pastor, it was stupid. Shouldn't have done it. Now I'm going to tell you what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. You can't fix it with more stupid. How many of you know that cut right to the core of the issue? Don't do something stupid to try to fix something stupid. Don't jump out of the frying pan and into the fire. And however it comes across, you know, God has to speak through me in these kind of, you know, I'm not very King James oriented in my capacity to hear. But, hey, the revelation gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. And then the third one is discerning of spirits. Now, it's a supernatural ability to know the spirit behind a person, both good or evil. A lot of times we think discernment is just to, oh, that brother's got a devil. But it's, it's for both good or evil. Let me give you some, some biblical illustration. If you've got your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 10. Let me show you these passages of Scripture. Just kind of see them operating in the church. Acts chapter 10, verse 30 through 35. Uh, so Cornelius said, now this is where Peter meets Cornelius. And if you remember, Peter had a vision from, from heaven, arise Peter, kill and eat. And Cornelius was a devout man, prayed to God always, but he was not a Jew. And this is where really the grace of God comes to the, the Gentiles. And so, uh, but in the middle of all this, we see this gift operating. So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright colors clothing and said Cornelius your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here whose surname is Peter he is lodging by in the house of Simon and uh, the tanner a tanner by the sea when he comes he will speak to you so I sent to you immediately and you have done well to come now therefore uh, uh now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded by you. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Now, you've got to understand, according to Peter's upbringing, the Jews were the only ones that were in line for any, any kind of blessing and outpouring from God. And through Peter's insight and the discerning of the Spirit and, 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 and really the revealing, he said, I perceive that God shows no partiality standing right here before this house of Cornelius who were not Jews. And he discerned that this brother was godly and that God was showing no partiality. Now, let me show you another Acts 16. Take a right. Acts 16, 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her master's much profit by fortune telling. And this girl followed Paul and us and cried out. And what did he say? What did, what did she say? These men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, how many of you know she was saying the right things? But there was something wrong on the inside. And this she did for many days. 
But Paul, greatly annoyed, he finally had enough. Greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. He got annoyed enough by it that the discerning of spirits jumped in. And he realized this girl has got a devil. And he cast it out. So the discerning of spirits, not only from a, hey, from a negative or, or evil side, but from a positive side. You know, I've just personally, uh, I, I, I tend to operate in this. And when I meet certain people sometimes, it's just like I know I'm either meeting somebody who is, is very strong in faith, and, and it's just like something in me goes, you know, ding, 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 ding. It's okay. Then have you ever met somebody that was saying all the right things? But something on the inside of you is going, warning, warning, Will Robinson, danger approaching. Most of you, young college and career, do not know who I'm impersonating right now. <laughs> How many of you know who I'm talking about? Warning, Will Robinson, lost in space, man. You better, you better Google it. That's the discerning of spirits that just goes off in you. And listen carefully. You better listen to the Spirit. Might save, you a, might save you a ton of money. I'm telling you, when you're praying about things to, you know, business decisions or whatever, and something on the inside goes, mm, 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 mm. everything sounds right, but the Spirit of God says, no, that's not good for you. It's the discerning of spirits. Revelation gifts. Gifts that do what? They reveal something. Very important. Very valid. And I would encourage you to desire these gifts and begin to operate in these gifts. And, and you know, let me just say to you, there's a little bit of a question in people's mind about it because some of the passages of Scripture, you know, it says the Spirit of God uh, disperses individually as He wills. Let me just tell you something. The Spirit of God is not stingy. And, and Paul didn't say desire one spiritual gift. He said desire spiritual gifts, plural. In other words, hey, desire them all. And let me tell you something. My Bible tells me, you know what the Bible says? He gives us the desires of our heart. If we desire these, God will give them to us. Amen? If we don't desire them, guess what? He's not going to give them to us. Amen? So desire them, operate in them, work in them. Uh, uh, uh. You know, uh, uh, just ask God to grace you. And let me tell you something. I don't operate in all of them all the times, but I'm telling you, there are times when I've, I've touched down with each one of them in a strong fashion in my life. Some of them are more prevalent in my life, but I've, I've touched down every once in a while with some that I don't normally operate in. All of a sudden, boom, there they are. And I go, whoo, thank you, Jesus. I knew it wasn't me. Okay, I'll talk about some of them. The next uh, set of gifts is not only the revelation gifts, but the power gifts. Let's look at these. These are gifts that what? Look at your note. They do something. Now, if you got your Bible, before we jump into them, I want to show you a phrase that is used about the church and about leaders in the church. And, and so if you're in the book of Acts, you should be. Look in Acts chapter 2, verse 43. We're going to look at two or three verses. Acts chapter 2, verse 43 and here it says this, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Everyone say, signs and wonders. These are gifts that do something, miraculous type gifts. Look in chapter 5, verse 12. Chapter 5, verse 12. Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Look in Acts chapter, oh, let's go to chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great what? Signs and wonders. Let me just say, you know what? Stephen was not an apostle. We just read a couple about apostles, but now we see Stephen. In fact, if you look at Stephen, you know, gosh, he was just... He was just a, a servant. It, it says about him, verse 3, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And, and Stephen was one of those guys. He was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. That's all it says about him. Boy, if I was preaching Sunday, uh, Father's Day, that'd be a good one to preach from. Uh, here, Stephen, he's a man 
full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. In fact, look out, Jay Threadgill. I might just jump up there. That's a great one. There's a man full of faith. He had a good reputation. He's a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Uh, uh, he did great signs and wonders among the people. Okay? And in fact, one more. Look at uh, chapter 14. Go all the way over to chapter 14 in the book of Acts. Verse, oh, verse 13 says this. Then the pre- Oh, I think, no, that looks like the wrong. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Chapter 13, I may have, chapter 14, verse 13. No, that's not it. I must have inverted it. Let me see if it's 13, 14. 13, 14, my dyslexia. No, it's wrong reference. I can't, I can't go to it. Sorry about that. But you see the idea. Everyone say signs and wonders. This is where these power gifts come into play. It's, it, it brings, it, you know, a sign. What does a sign do? It points people to somewhere. Let me tell you something. The gifts of the Spirit, these, men, these, these, these power gifts, they point people to Jesus. I'm telling you. And, they, and, they, and you know what a wonder does? It makes people do what? Wonder. Everybody go, ooh, man. Makes them wonder. Here they are. The first one is the gift of faith. A complete assurance of God's attention, intention, God's, I think that should be intention, intention to act in a specific set, situation. A complete assurance of God's absolute ability, willingness, and intention to act in a given situation. Now, how many of you know we all need to walk in faith? But I'm telling you, there is a gift of the Spirit that will come upon us from time to time, especially if we desire it, that is an absolute understanding. I know God's going to do this for you. It's a gift, and you can declare it, and you can move in it. And I'm telling you, it, it moves the hand of God. And so what a great gift for us to desire. I remember a few times in my life when this gift of faith came upon me. I remember one. I, hey, if you've heard my stories before, uh, uh, pardon me, I, that's the only ones I have. It's mine. I can't tell yours too much. But I remember years ago in Quitman, Texas, I was preaching along, and all of a sudden I had a faith for, uh, to pray for women who, who couldn't bear children. And it just, out of the blue, I jumped up and I said, I, I just feel in my spirit, I've got faith today. I want to pray for women who cannot bear children. I've got something on me. And I said, who here today? Anyone here today? And no one raised their hand. Man, this thing was just, I mean, it was just exploding in me. And finally someone said, there's a gal by the name of V. Malone, and she was in the nursery. V. Malone, she's in the nursery. I said, go get her. Man, by the time she came to the front of the church, she was bawling, tears blowing out her eyes. And I just said, you will bear a child. And, and I told the ladies, give her a shower. She's going to have a baby. And then when I said that, I went, boy, you stepped way out there. Then I realized, no, this is a gift of faith. It was just for about a 45-second explosion in my spirit. And, and she came down, and I declared. I didn't pray that she would have a... I spoke it. You will have a child. And, man, I'm telling you, it was less than a year. Pow! In fact, I got a picture in Facebook at, from her the other day. She graduated high school. She was 18 years old. Just graduated high school. Now, was that past? No, that was, I'm telling you. How many of you have been around here a while? Pastor Sam does not do those kind of things unless it's, it's the gift of faith. But let me tell you something. This is not just for the preacher. It, Stephen was just a man. He wasn't, just, he wasn't an apostle. He's just a man in the church full of the Holy Spirit. And he operated in those things. And he did signs and wonders. Gift of faith. Amen. Working of miracles, number two. And I love this. It's the, the God-given supernatural ability to reverse or suspend natural laws in specific situations. The working of miracles. And, and not just, you know, we think of miracles, we think of healing. Well, that's fixing to be number three. But man, uh, the ability to reverse or suspend natural laws, uh, that's, that's a powerful, uh, just, that's part of those signs and wonders that were done through the apostles. And then number three is healing. The God-given ability to bring healing to the physically and spiritually infirmed without the aid of natural means. How many of you know God uses natural means to bring healing? But there are times 
when this gift of healing operates in the church and through people's life, the ability to bring healing to the physically or spiritually infirmed. I think of Acts chapter 3, one of my favorite passages when it comes to this. Peter and John on their way to the temple to pray. About the ninth hour, a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried uh, when they laid da- and they laid him daily at the gate by the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms for those who enter the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And by the way, I was there a couple of years ago. And these people, they lay right at the gate of the temple mount. And they're still doing this. In fact, one guy was begging. Uh, and he had a cell phone. You know, he, oh, pardon me, just you know, he's had his little candy. He's, I said, man, if you can afford a cell phone, you don't need to be begging, in my opinion. Uh, but they're still there. Uh, and Peter and John, uh, they were about to go in the temple, ask for alms, fixed, fixed his eyes upon him with John Peter and said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In other words, there was something came upon him. Now, you don't see Peter doing this in every chapter of every, uh, you know, of, of, of his life. You don't see him operating this way. And in, in fact, hmm, uh, it says signs and wonders were done through the hands of the apostles. So there were definitely prevalent, but man, this is one dynamic healing moment. This guy was not praying for a healing. He just wanted some money. He was not asking and seeking for a healing. He just wanted some money. In fact, uh, you know, he's asking for alms. I've always said, I was wondering why he was asking for alms. He needed legs. Come on, he needed legs. He needed legs. Stood alms. Y'all are a little slow. Okay, everybody got it? Just say, I got it, and I'll go on. Okay, if you don't, okay, all right. And Peter said, silver and gold have we none, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. Now, he didn't, he didn't get him up in a chair and start, you know, and hoping something happened. He jerked him up. Now, you better have the gift of healing when you start jerking people up. He jerked him up, and man, and, and supernatural healing shot through his body, and he was, he, and it says, uh, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Wow. That's the gift of healing. Power gifts. Faith. A complete assurance of God's uh, intention to act in a specific situation. He is going to do this. Miracles, the ability to reverse and suspend natural laws. Healing, the ability to bring healing to the physically or spiritually infirmed. A supernatural ability, the power gifts. And then the inspiration gifts. Some would say maybe the most misunderstood but this third gift, this third category, the inspiration gifts, these are the gifts that say something. Okay, here we go. The first one is prophecy. Now, if you remember, we talked about the office of a prophet last week in the gifts of the Son, the ministry gifts. Now we've got this gift of prophecy from the Holy Spirit. It is not the same as the office of a prophet, and, it, and it's not, uh, some would say, just the ability to communicate truth. It's a supernatural utterance that brings edification, exhortation, and comfort to the body of Christ. Look in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, just for a moment. And, I, and there's a lot here that I would encourage you to read and look at and, and, and maybe ask questions about it at a later date. But look what Paul says about this prophecy. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, he said, But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Everyone say edification. Exhortation and comfort to men. So understand something about the gift of prophecy when you're talking about Holy Spirit gifts. In fact, you will not see this in the New Testament. You will not see the gift of prophecy being used to foretell the future. 
That is not what this gift is all about. It is to bring edification, exhortation, and comfort to the body of Christ. And it is a supernatural utterance that does that. And listen, uh, prophecy doesn't cause people to fear. It doesn't make people afraid. It doesn't make the body of Christ have big question marks. Uh, it, it brings edification, exhortation, and comfort to the body of Christ. Years ago, I had a guy that I did not know stand up in my church. There was having, we were having an altar call, so he was there. And all of a sudden, he started turning a lot of different shades of red and getting all contorted in his face. And he started... I'm putting it in quotations, prophesying. And oh, it was terrible. It was condemnation and destruction and God is mad. And man, you, in, a, in a moment, man, people, the whole church was going, <gasps> and I put my hand on his head and I said, sir. And he, he kind of took a little bit of wind out, sir, sir. And he kind of stopped and I, I, with my hand on his head, I said, now church family, let me tell you something. Bless this gentleman's heart, but this is not the Holy Ghost. Okay, you, everybody went, oh, I'm so glad because I was getting really nervous because the Bible says prophecy is for the edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. And let me just say, if you hear somebody saying, thus saith the Lord, and it's not doing that, you can scratch them off. In fact, you can rebuke them if you want because it's not prophecy. Amen? Come on now, somebody say a better Amen. It's just not. That's what prophecy does. In fact, the word here, prophecy, it means bubble up to flow forth or to cause to drop like rain. It's like a spiritual bubbling up of a prophetic word that brings edification and exhortation and comfort to the body of Christ. Amen. Everyone say amen. amen. Now, let me just throw this little addendum out there. I don't know the totality of what the Bible speaks about New Testament prophets, the office of the prophet. And you see this used very little in the New Testament from the, that you can find. Uh, but I'm not going to say that the office of the prophet might not could speak something that would ultimately bring edification and exhortation and comfort to the body of Christ, but it also might be a prophetic warning. I'm not going to say that might not happen. But in this context, under the gifts of the Spirit, that is not a part of the package. Are you with me? Okay. And that's what I, I personally believe. And so I think that will keep us in the safe zone uh, for sure. And let me just tell you something about these prophetic utterances. They will always line up with the written Word of God. Amen. They will never contradict the written word. You see, the rhema word is the God-spoken word. You know, prophecy would be a rhema word from God, a, 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 like a fresh breath of God's word over your life. But the rhema will never contradict the logos, which is the written word of God. Okay? Good point for you to always know and understand. It will never contradict the word of God. I've actually heard people say, you know, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and, and then they would say things that are contrary to the word of God. I'd say, well, how'd you get that from the Holy Spirit? That was a spirit, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit because it's contradictory to the written Word of God. Are you with me? Okay, so good point about the, the gift of prophecy. Hey, in fact, look over in chapter 14, verse 1. Look at this. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, let me just throw this out to you. Again, if you have, if you have any uh, maybe Pentecostal or, or Assembly of God background or you've been around, you know, the, uh, you know the, uh, uh, what some would call a full gospel church for a while, you may have a perception of prophecy. And it, and it may have to do with a loud voice with, Thus saith the Lord and King James English. And, and, and now, there's nothing wrong with it, but that's just some man's methodology to proclaim this supernatural utterance. But did, could I tell you today, you can prophesy to people without any of that kind of, uh, you know, bombastic, uh, you know, approach. I've had people come to me and say, Pat, whisper in my ear during church, I got a word for so-and-so. Well, he's right over there. Go give it to him. But, what, but their mindset was, well, 
you got to say it from the pulpit because that's the way I grew up in church. I said, well, no, you don't have He's right over there. He may not want you to tell everybody else the word of the Lord that's coming to him. So, hey, it's a prophetic utterance that bubbles up in our spirit, brings edification, exhortation, and comfort to the body of Christ. Uh, and then here we go, tongues. It says, oh, gosh, um, where's the verse? And it says, um, yeah, verse 10. The discerning of spirits to another. Different kinds of tongues are divers' tongues, King James says. Now, let me give you a little understanding about tongues. There's basically two applications. That's why it's plural. It, it, it's plural for a number, number of reasons because let me give you number one. A, a tongue could be an actual language given to you. For example, in Acts chapter 2, the, the, when the church was filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Acts 2, they, were, they all spoke, uh, uh, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, they had flames of fire, and they spoke in tongues. And people, and they went out into the, into the, the highways and hedges, if you will, and people from all over heard them speaking in their own language the wonderful works of God. But how many of you know a tongue can also be a heavenly language that no one knows? Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit prays through us with groanings too deep for words. So the, the plurality can be those diverse kinds of tongues. It could be a, a language of the Spirit, a heavenly language, or a language given to you. And I've heard testimonies of that when people are praying in foreign countries and all of a sudden they, this guy's speaking in Hebrew. This guy's speaking in some other language. And, and, and so it could be that. But also, number two, there is two, two from you, when you look in Scripture, in Corinthians, there's two applications here of tongues. It's for a personal prayer life and for a corporate purpose. Everyone say personal and corporate. The personal prayer language. Jude said this in Jude 20. He said, build yourselves up on the most holy, holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. That's a personal prayer language. Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. He told the church in Rome, I don't know how to pray. We don't know how to pray as we all, but the Spirit prays through us with groanings too deep for words. So there's a personal prayer language that God blesses us with. And then there is, for the sake of ministry in the church, a tongue given in the congregation or in a corporate gathering that should be accompanied by a what? interpretation and that's the third of these three inspiration gifts an understanding and declaration of a message in tongues now I'm going to come back to tongues but let me just say about interpretation uh, you know interpretation is not translation I used to have this issue I would hear someone speak in a tongue uh, maybe for you know a minute and then someone would come and interpret the tongue for two or three minutes I go, wait a minute. But then I realize it's not translation, it's interpretation. Big difference, right? And so the Spirit of God is interpreting through someone else. And, and the Bible says when there are tongues in the church and interpretation, it equals to that number one prophecy. How many of you got that? Okay, tongues with interpretation equals what? Prophecy, which is edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Now, uh, let's look at tongues for just a moment. Uh, let me just, um, yeah, let me show you the corporate aspect. Look in chapter 14, verse 26 and 27, just so you'll understand. Here it is. Here's the corporate application for tongues in the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Now, how many of you know God's not a legalist? I've had preachers tell me that there should never be an outward expression of... In other words, you are not to pray in your private prayer language out loud in the church. Now... Let me just say, if you are praying in your private prayer language out loud in the church and you are disruptive, I think that's part of what was going on here in Corinth. 
But I don't think God's a legalist. If you're praying and you're worshiping the Lord and you're singing in the Spirit and you're singing with understanding also, come on now. Everybody knows that, hey, this is what we're doing. We're worshiping God. We're praising the Lord. And, and, and we're praying in our, in our personal prayer language. Uh, and we're not disrupting if we're not disrupting. Okay? And so I don't think God's a legalist. But here, the corporate application, uh, Paul's bringing some clarity. You know, do it two or three. Let there be an interpreter. Uh, and if, hey, if there's no interpreter, don't get up and give a message in tongues, okay? And you ought to pray that you interpret. So uh, that's the interpretation of tongues. But now let me talk about tongues. Most people, in, in fact, there's a, this has been the conflict of the ages. It was a conflict there in 1 Corinthians in the Corinthian church. Uh, and in today's world, still a, a, a bit of a conflict, uh, uh, even in reference to whether or not when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, is tongues the evidence that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? So I'm going to answer that question for you. How many of you want me to answer that question for you? Here we go. I'm going to show you, as I've done many times before, the five New Testament examples where people were uh, uh, just very clearly baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're going to walk through them. We've, it's 810. We've got a little time. Uh, let's do it quickly. You want to do it quickly? And then I'll give you my answer. Here we go. Uh, if you're in Acts, look in Acts chapter 2. I'm going back to Acts. I'm going to walk you through them. Acts chapter 2, when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, what happened? I've already said it. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 4, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So in the first century church, the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, they spoke in tongues. Anybody want to argue with me about that one? You can't argue. There it is. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is when Paul the Apostle, I believe, in verse 4, Oh, man, do I write this? Am I writing everything down wrong? Acts chapter 9, here it is. Acts chapter 9, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know the story of him being converted. Now, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, verse 17, uh, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And so when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now, here, here theologians all agree this is where Paul the apostle was filled with the Holy Spirit. He got saved on the road to Damascus, but he got filled with the Spirit through the ministry of Ananias. And it does not say he spoke in tongues. But we know from what we read a few moments ago in Acts chapter, uh, pardon me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14, he said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. We don't know if it happened then or later. We really don't know. Uh, but Paul, at some point in his life and ministry, began to pray in the Spirit. We don't know if it was then. Okay, Acts chapter, let's move forward. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Verse, ooh. oh, this is, in, this is when, the, when the Gentiles were filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 44, while Paul was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many of them came with, the, with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured upon all the disciples, upon, pardon me, upon all the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with what? tongues and magnify God and then Peter answered can anyone forbid water that they should not be baptized who had received the Holy Spirit just as we have uh, you know some people say hey when you get baptized with water you get baptized in the hey these guys got the Holy Spirit before they ever got baptized in water some people try to develop a a methodology you know God will mess up your in fact let me just I had someone I heard this story once uh, there's a lady who was praying while she's cooking breakfast one morning and she was asking God to pour out his spirit upon her and she'd putting biscuits in the oven and she was just praying Lord I want all that you have and 
So she opened the oven and pulled out the rack of biscuits. And when she pulled out the rack of biscuits, the Spirit of God came upon her. She started praying in the Spirit. Whoo! was gloriously baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, man, she received the Holy Spirit. So she went to her friends. Man, you, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they were going, man, I want some of that. And she said, well, let me tell you something. You've got to buy this certain kind of biscuits. And you've got to put them in the oven. And, man, when they're about done and when you open that oven and pull it out, you get ready. Because that's when it hits you. How many of you know? That's not true. That's how it happened to her. Uh, and so there's really not a, there's, when you look at all these, God's creative, amen, and he'll do it however he wants. And then Acts chapter 19, uh, Acts 19, all the way over to the Ephesians, and I think I skipped one. I, that's when I got a little confused. But Acts 19, about the Ephesians, this is many years later, and it says this in chapter uh, 19 verse 1 and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul having passed through the upper regions came to Ephesus and finding some disciples he said to them did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed so they said to him we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit and he said to them into what then were you baptized and they said into John's baptism then Paul said John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance saying to the people that they should believe on him uh, who would come after them that is on Christ Jesus and when they heard this they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and when Paul had laid his hands upon them the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied well here's a little difference Remember, Peter, he's in the middle of preaching to the Gentiles, and bam, it hits them. And here, Paul, he lays his hands upon them. Bam, it hits. So, see, there's no magic uh, 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 methodology to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so what we see from these passages of Scripture, in fact, let me go back to Acts 8 because I, I, I didn't want to miss one. Uh, Acts 8, who, uh, who got baptized in the Holy Spirit? Oh, I know what it was. The sorcerer, uh, he saw something. Here it is in verse 14. And when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard, this is Acts chapter 8, heard, heard that Samaria had received the word, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had, had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say they spoke in tongues, but something happened. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, now Simon was a sorcerer. When Simon saw, not Peter, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hand the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. In other words, he saw some kind of evidence that this church in Samaria had received something so impacting that he offered money to get a hold of it. doesn't say they spoke in tongues. We don't know. But there was some kind of evidence. So let me just say it this way. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there will always be what? Evidence. And here's what I say from those five passages. There's only one place, and that is this one, where it does not, you know, well, Paul, but he spoke in tongues at a later point. One out of the five does not say they spoke in tongues, but it does say there was some evidence. So my posture is this, that tongues is the normal evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's just my posture. I'm not a legalist. Now, some denominations say if, you're not, uh, if, if you don't speak in tongues, you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't go down that road. Some denominations say you're not saved. I don't know where they got that one. But because, hey, these people have already been baptized in water. How many of you know the apostles are not going to baptize people in water if they didn't get saved? Okay. So there you go. There are the inspiration gifts. And I just gave you a little, a little uh, uh, you know, just a, kind of an overview. But let me give you three thoughts about all these gifts. Their purpose, number one. Let me give you these closing thoughts. The purpose of these gifts uh, are for the profit of all, for edification to the body of Christ, and for confirmation. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says they're for the profit of all. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, it says it's for the edification of the church. Uh, 
and then if you went over to Mark chapter 16, it talks about these signs will follow those who believe. My name, they'll cast out demons. They'll pick up serpents and it won't harm them. And they'll speak with tongues. He's talking about signs and wonders. And, and, it, and it's really, when you read that, it's to confirm. It's like a confirming to the, to the church that, 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 hey, God's moving in your life. So these gifts are a confirmation to the body of Christ and really to the world. Uh, that's their purpose. It's for the profit of all, for the edification of the body of Christ, and to confirm God's work in the church. And let me talk about attitude just for a moment. The attitude about the gifts of the Spirit. Well, I've already mentioned it. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says we ought to desire these things, these gifts. We ought to hunger after them. And just say, God, I want all that you have for me. And then Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. You know, somebody, you know, used to be, well, do I have to speak in tongues? No, you get to. Come on now. This is for the edification. Jude, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. You get to. Amen? Well, does God want everybody to speak in tongues? I believe he wants us to desire every one of them, and he wants to give us them all in our life. Amen? Somebody say amen. And then the motivation. This is over and over throughout Scripture, especially throughout the Corinthians. Uh, what's the motivation behind all this? It's love. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13, if you, if you can do all these spiritual things and all these miracles and operate in all the gifts, but you have not love, profits you what? Nothing. And then we know in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, where he said, he said, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. He links the two together again. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, he, he hits it again. Let me jump, jump over there. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, he says this. How is it then, brethren, when, each of you come, when you come together, uh, uh, come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. It's for others. It's because you love the body of Christ. It's not because you want to show everybody your gift. It's because we love the church and we love one another. Amen. Let's stand together tonight. And I'm going to pray tonight that God would stir our hearts to desire spiritual gifts and begin to operate in these gifts in greater measure than ever before in your life. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized in the Holy Spirit, I really believe that's where the gifts of the Spirit really begin to be unlocked in your life. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit and just, and just empowered by the Spirit of God in your life. Father, tonight we just...